What the fuck is up, everybody? Today we got uh, my grandfather on, Gary Wilson, and my great-uncle Ron. Great-grandfather. and Great-grandfather? You're not my great-grandfather. You're, you're my grandfather. Yes, you're right. And then Ron's my great-uncle. Mm-hmm. Legitimately my great-uncle yes. on paper. He's just my uncle. But yes. that's neither here nor there. How's everyone doing today? Just fine. We got back from uh, Furniture Run. I uh, found my baby brother a uh, nice hutch for his um, dining room, right? No. No, oh, it's in the, well, it's kitchen, dining room. It's a little house. Yes, yes. But, uh, yes, and now we're, at, now we're doing the podcast with my uh, grandson, my oldest one. That you know of. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so... We were talking about earlier, you know, before you got on about different beers and whatnot, and you said that your dad back in, what, 1950s, 60s was drinking Natty Bo all the time? And Paps. Oh, those man. were... Dude, PBR, Natty Bo, mm, I love me some of that. Those were the cheap beers, and that's what... Uh, that, the old man, he never... The, the, the old, he would drink about anything that had alcohol in it. But he never done the uh, fancy stuff, and like his whiskey was old rocking chair. Yeah, oh god, I, yeah. I, I took a sip of that one time when I was a kid. It, it tasted like paint remover. And uh, was it at least good paint remover? No, it wasn't even pleasant. Uh my brother that's sitting next to me. I got an older, a younger, two younger brothers. And a sister, I'm the oldest in the family. We grew up on a farm in the 50s and 60s, late 50s, all the way through the 60s, and with my baby brother, the 70s. But that time... Well, you, you didn't... You, you spent a lot of your life down here in West Virginia and then spent some of it up in uh, PA, right? PA to start with. All of us... Excuse me. I should have been born in Pennsylvania at Lebanon Hospital like my other three siblings was. But uh, mom's doctor told her that uh, she could go on vacation. We could go on vacation, that she wasn't going to deliver for a couple more weeks. And so we were living in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and we come down here for a <clears throat> special occasion that was put on back here. In this part of the country at that time, called the Unger Store Picnic. It was a three day event with rides, concessions. They had a bandstand. But anyway, I decided that two weeks was too long to wait. So I was born in the master bedroom in the farmhouse that I ended up spending most of my life in. But yes, we were living in a little. Uh, the address was actually Lebanon, Pennsylvania, but the physical, we physically lived in a little itty-bitty community called Oh No. Just, it's spelt just the way it sounds. <laughs> and now, of course, my baby brother was born there, but he does not remember anything of that house. No, the first things, memories that I have were on the old homestead. And this is a place that I guess a lot of people just 
have trouble understanding. We had no indoor plumbing. We had an outhouse. We did have electricity. And I think I was 12 or 13 when we finally got a uh, telephone. With yeah, a, a little younger than that, probably, because I was only about 14. Yeah, and it was a multi-party line. And I do remember one time a friend of mine and I got in trouble. We were comparing notes on one of the local young ladies. And I guess... Everybody on the party line was listening in, so that made for some interesting times. Now, um, you fuck. I'm so muted. Fuck me, but uh, <laughs> um, you were you're the youngest. Yes. Okay. He's the baby. He's my baby brother. Yes. Okay. So, what was it like back back whenever y'all were growing up, like with the type of technology y'all had back then compared to now. <laughs> what technology partner? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, back then, like, wasn't that like the start of like, t- like TVs were starting to like become oh, more regular? And we had off again, on again television, but living so far out into the sticks during the day, we were lucky to get one, maybe two channels. We got a, uh, we got Channel Four and Channel Five. Yeah, but it was at nighttime after the, I guess, atmospherics for whatever it does with radio or television waves kicked in. Uh, we we could enjoy more stations and much better reception at uh, night. So, But do you know the story behind the TV? Which one? The first one. The big old one that sat on the turntable. Uh, no. Go, uh, refresh my memory. You probably wasn't, but uh, when was you born again? Uh, November of 52. Okay. Hey, don't mean to cut you off. Bring the mic just a little bit closer to you. Oops. You're good. Whoops. Right there. You're good. Okay. Uh, The old man wasn't home much. He did work two jobs. I'll give him credit. He did work two jobs. He worked for Bethlehem Steel in Lebanon. And he worked for a private golf club as the main greenskeeper. They loved him. But anyway, the old man was a hard worker. But anyway, mom wanted to watch the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953. Dad surprised her with a TV. But of course, back then, the, the dad was working seven days a week. He paid, he paid somebody to put the antenna up, hook everything up, and... Mom got to watch, and we were the only ones, at probably in a three or four mile radius or more, that had a TV. On Saturday night, our living room was full of neighbors watching Hopalong Cassidy in a Western. And so we did have, that is one modern convenience of that time that we had that a lot of other people didn't. So now, with uh, when did color TV start becoming a thing? Mid to late uh, 60s is when you could get them in the early 60s. I know my uh, aunt got one, but oh, my God, it costs what a car costs. Uh, our principal down at, uh, down at um, Greenwood, Mr. Butts, had one. That's the first one I've seen in his house. We went there to get something, and Bonanza was playing. Bonanza was the first series that come out in color. Yeah, uh, talk about stuff now uh, that we grew up with nowadays. You would think that we lived in the caveman period. 
Uh, now, of course, my brother don't remember, but the first school that I went to was not down here. It was in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, or oh no, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, or the little community, oh no. It was a one-room schoolhouse with no running water, outdoor uh, Johnny houses, uh, and a pot-bellied stove in the back that, that, that the school teacher put coal in at, at intervals during the day to keep it warm in the schoolhouse. And she was probably in 1952 or 53 when I first went to school. She was probably in her 60s then. She was a badass teacher, and she left a lasting impression on me. I can still remember her name. Her name was Mrs. Spangler. Uh, baby brother didn't go to school till the uh, till Greenwood, and that's where uh, we had to remove back here on the farm. Now, I will say that between the time that I was born and the time that we'd done the final move back here on the farm, uh, which was from. 1947 when I was born until 1956 when I went to Greenwood School the first year it opened. We moved one, two, three, four, five, six times. We moved six times in seven or eight years. We moved a whole lot, but once we got to the farmhouse there's where I, we stayed until each one of us got married and went off on our own or went into the service like my two younger brothers did now well, you were navy right Ron? yeah okay oh yeah anchor clanker yes yeah swabby whatever now there is one thing that uh i know gary and i talk about this frequently is uh he actually enjoyed the country life. In fact, you're still living on part of the old farm, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. Now, me, one of my earliest memories were is, I got to get out of here. So when I got out of high school, I joined the Navy to see the world and got to see a good chunk of it. Lived in several different states, wound up in Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places, for over 30 years. And now I've come back to reconnect with the family and the, uh, see how things are back here. So how are you liking being back out in West Virginia from being out West? Um, it's different in some ways, but people are pretty much people everywhere. What does, uh, well, not really annoy me, but I'm having to get used to it are the roads back here. These things must have been laid out by drunken snakes or ones that were on LSD or something. It, it Now, out, out west, you've got the flat desert area, and everything is right angles. Plus, you might have two ways to get from point A to point B. Back here, you've got a whole alphabet of ways to get from one place to the other. And to be honest, some of these roads are a little scary to drive on. What's what's the other thing you're still trying to get used to? 
the weather. Oh, the temperature it, or the, the difference in the humidity out it's here. It's a little bit more moist out here, or as we like to say out in Utah, sure, it's 105, but it's a dry heat. Um, yeah, that is going to take a little bit of getting getting used to. But so far, so good. Uh, I have noticed that uh, the people out here, uh, I had been gone for so long, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, but people are people everywhere. And I really have enjoyed it so far. Now, how long I'm going to stay here, I don't know. I may get the proverbial... Uh, hair up you know where and in a few years decide to take off and go someplace else and on the other hand i have not done some traveling uh the wife and i spent uh six weeks in europe we was in iceland luxembourg belgium france and that's another story how we ended up doing that but getting back to growing up on the farm, and it was a somewhat semi-working farm. We never made a living at it. The uh, But we never went hungry. Oh, my God, no. We ate like kings because we uh, processed everything. We had, we had milk running out the yin-yang because we had three to four milk cows. We, we uh, had... Plenty of pork. We had a nice big smokehouse where we had sugar-cured hams. Uh, we butchered a beef every year. And I said, when, when I said we, I mean literally we. We uh, raised the hogs, raised the beef. Uh, come Now, uh, sometime around Thanksgiving is when we butchered the hogs. We done three. Uh, out of that, we even made our own lard. Uh, we had all the equipment for uh, processing, butchering, and processing uh, 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 hogs. Had our own chickens. Uh, when we wanted uh, when we wanted chicken for a Sunday uh, 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 dinner, yeah. Uh, Grandma, who took care of the chickens, would pick out the one hen that wasn't laying very much, and my brother and I would chop its head off and. We would pluck it and burn the pin feathers off of it so we could have it for Sunday dinner. And uh, Is it true the chickens stay running around for a minute once you cut their head off? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because, yeah. Yes. For a little while, yes. Well, I'm, I mean, flop I Flop around more, not run around, but flop around. Hey, but you want them to do that. You want to get as much blood out of, out of the body as you can. Yes. And you'd pick them up and hold them by their feet and let them drain the rest of it out. And... uh my brother and I were avid hunters. Uh, we, as soon as we got off the bus, uh, we would change clo- clothes because uh, we were not as fortunate as children nowadays, most. Now, I'm not saying every child, but most. Where, like, we're here in West Virginia, most underprivileged kids get Two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars to go buy school clothes. They got more coats than they know what to do with. I had, we all had mm-hmm. just one coat, good coat to wear to school, one pair of shoes that we wore to school because Dad would load us all up in the car uh, a couple weeks before school, and we would go to 
Kenny Shoes in Winchester. Mm-hmm. And we would all, he would get us all new shoes, but those were our school shoes. We took them off as soon as we come through the house, a door to house. But my brother and I put on what was left of our shoes from the year before and raggedy ass pants and stuff, and we'd go hunting until dark. That still did not mean we did not do our chores when we got back. We'd done them by lantern light. Uh, we had wood to get in. We had our water to bring up for the night out of the spring. We livestock did. to care for. What? So, so and livestock to care yes, for. Yes, yes. So y'all were pretty like self-sufficient. Oh Lord, yes. You know, it was funny. Several years ago, my millennial son in Salt Lake introduced me to Whole Foods. So I'm walking, <laughs> walking through the store, looking. Yeah, no chemicals, none of this. And of course, the prices shocked me a lot. Yeah, you know, I love Whole Foods, but they're way too expensive. Well, it, I found it funny for the simple fact of growing up, we would love to have not had to haul manure out of the stables and spread it over the field. Uh, to if we'd have had chemical fertilizer, it would have been a much easier, less smelly job. But we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford all of the chemicals to uh, keep the animals uh, healthy all of the time. Most of them made it. Sometimes they didn't. We canned and preserved all of our own food. No chemicals in it. Big potato patch. We we, always had potatoes. We grew up eating whole foods. A lot of potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the last time I went into a whole foods was down in South Carolina. We went in there, got some steaks, you know, because we were staying at like a Candlewood Sweets or something. So we had a, you know, stove to cook on and all that. So we went out grocery shopping. I think we got like three steaks, you know, maybe some corn, some potatoes, and like, you know, a little bit of beer for the weekend because I was with my dad. And, you know, you know, the old man, he can't be out for the weekend without a beer in his hand. But um, we were at, uh, I'm pretty sure our bill was like, I want to say over like 120, 200 bucks for the oh. little bit of stuff we got just to. They don't call it whole paychecks for, for nothing. So, <laughs> and like the free range chickens, our chickens free ranged all the time. Yeah. And sometimes they walk up and go to work on your ankle too. So, yep. Yep. And, uh, uh, but we was also, I mean, some people do not. Uh, Never, maybe never watched it, or they're the out of the um, age range to watch it. But some years ago, there was a series on called The Waltons, where uh, Grandma and Granddaddy had built the house. Uh, their son and his wife and their children, which would have been their grandchildren, all lived in the same house. And that is the way we was. Only thing is, granddaddy did build the house, but he passed. But our grandmother, it was my grandmother, my mom and dad, and my brothers and sisters, we was all in the same big old farmhouse that granddaddy had built. And yes, uh, I loved my brother and I both. Or my second, my next uh, brother next to me, not baby brother. He no, loved. I, he loved I was, reading. And I, I was born a city boy, not a country boy. Yep, because my brother Dave and I would take off for the day, wandering around over the mountains and stuff back here. 
Uh, Ron would be curled. That's my baby brother, Ron. He'd be curled up on the porch swing reading a book. Isn't there a story out there where Ron got stuck on a roof? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have a uh, pretty substantial uh, fear of heights. Well, we had a little... Uh, washroom. Had, it was a washroom yeah, attached it, to it the back a, of the house. It was a little uh, section tacked on the back of, of the old homestead. And Gary and David got me up on top of the roof one day. And you were supposed to, and it was close enough where you could actually just jump off. Well, I didn't like that, so I was trying to lower myself down. So here I am hanging on the edge of this tin roof. Apparently, my feet were three or four inches off of the ground. I panicked. Well, my older brothers, being older brothers, uh, were falling on the ground laughing. And so we give I you was, good advice. Let uh, go. Yeah, but but I was stuck on the roof for I don't. It seemed like years, but it probably wasn't more than about ten minutes before or less. Before mom, old, mom and dad showed up. The old man I, come around and beat the shit out of Dave and I for <laughs> letting you hang on the side of the roof because he just walked over and got you around the waist and set you on the ground. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Older brothers are fun sometimes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, now, my younger sister, it'd be my brother Ron's older sister, she was half tomboy. We was out, she liked wandering through the woods with us and uh, climbing up in the barn and jumping out into the hay and stuff, but uh, Ron didn't. He was he was getting prepared for the city life and wandering around over the world. <laughs> yeah. My my brother-in-law out in Utah was born and raised right in downtown Manhattan. And uh, he and I got to talking over the years. And we came to the conclusion that without any knowledge of where we were, if you were to have switched us both at about the age seven or eight, both of us would have lasted about 10 or 15 minutes. I would have wandered into the wrong side of town, stepped out in front of a fast-moving Chevy, and he would have picked something up off of the ground saying, what's this? And it would proceed to bite him and kill him. So, yeah, it's two different worlds. You, If you're raised in the suburbs or raised in the city, it, it, you can't really understand the kind of upbringing that Gary and my other siblings and I had. Uh, after I got out of the Navy, I started climbing up the corporate ladder. And the higher up that I went, the more the people tended to be middle to upper middle class uh, kids. I would start to tell them stories about living on the old farm. And, well, first off, I don't think they believed me half of the time. Um, the other half, they were just flat shocked. Yeah, but uh, I mean, with one aspect of our life, uh, for a long while after I got married and was bills and raising a family, uh, we ate a lot of hamburger and stuff. like. I could not afford to eat as good as we did at home because I know we come through the door one evening from school and mom, what is for supper? What are, you having for, what are we having for supper? She said, we're having steak. And one of us, might have been me, might have been Susan, might have been David. 
But one of us said, really, steak again? Yeah. Uh, we ate like kings. We dressed like paupers, but ate like kings. All because we raised all of our stuff, butchered <coughs> it. I was, even if you take a... Did y'all do your own bread and everything? Too? Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gracious, yes, yes. Now, Now, was the wheat something you had to go out and get... Like get or did y'all like have your own wheat fields oh, out no. on the farm? You bought uh, big the big sacks of flour. Now but, that was AC Unger's. That's the mill. Yeah. But said, yeah, he he had a regular flour root. They called it. It, it ground ground grounded in the flour and sold it. Yes, we had big bags of flour. No, we didn't. We wasn't that. Oh, I'm, I mean, I was I was only asking because I mean. You know, once upon a time, people did, but most of the time, those with, if they did grow some of their, they would take it to a mill and have a miller, yeah, uh, grind it for them. Well, because like, I mean, like back way back when, like whenever people were like one hundred percent self sufficient, like that would be one thing, but it became a thing where it was more of a convenience thing for a lot of people, right? Like to, oh, yeah, like, like to be able to just go to a mill and get a big old bag of flour. I I lived for a couple of years in Iowa where they specialize in wheat, corn, soybeans, all of that fun stuff. And to supply your average family, you would have to have, you know, 10 acres in wheat. And, you know, it, people just don't have that much room uh, to on, on a small farm to dedicate that much of the arable land for growing grain, not when you could buy... God, what the hell was flour back then? Five cents a pound or some ridiculous price by today's standards? The other thing that we did enjoy... No, I mean, to today's standards, but back when our dad was bringing home $40 a week for a week's worth of work, uh, five cents a pound, and you buy uh, five pounds of flour, I mean, 10 pounds of flour, that's 50 cents. That's half an hour's work. Uh, that is true. It well, is it then, is all relative. Forty dollars a week back then was pretty good money, though, wasn't oh, it? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I mean, it wasn't living. You know, it wasn't like being rich money, but it was still a decent enough living to raise a family on, right? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. I mean, uh, my our dad and myself, and for a short period of time, my son. We all worked for the same company, the same building, and that's in there to plant. That's ABEX. Mm-hmm. He, the dad started in 55. He got me on there in 68. I got uh, my son on there in 2005. The only difference is uh, my son, a little better educated, had a lot of... Uh, uh, Management experience and with, and with the um, Air Force. Air Force, yeah, military is good for that. He 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 spent two weeks doing production work, and they bumped him up to management. They he was supervisor, uh, 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 department supervisor. So, yes, uh, that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore either. That uh, father passes a job on to the son, and oh yeah, that well, I mean that it, that era is gone in in a roundabout way. It does. I mean, in my opinion, it, it does whenever, like, if, say, you get into, like, a certain trade or something, there's no more of... I mean, because around here, whenever it comes to manufacturing jobs, there ain't a whole lot of manufacturers around here anymore like there was way... You know, even back whenever I was a kid. Because, you know, back whenever I was a kid, you had Vanguard around here still. You had, you know, 
ABEX. You had all these manufacturing facilities. I mean, it's starting to build back up around here. But, like, I've got a lot of friends of mine whose their parents are, like, you know, their dad's a plumber, like like an industrial plumber or industrial oh, you electrician. Get in any of the technical skills, uh, I've spent most of my working life as a uh, tech technician. I'm the guy that actually made the eyeglasses. Were you still technically an optometrist at that point? Or were you just uh, no, a technician? no, no, just the just a technician i'm i'm i mean I, <laughs> no, hey, i'm just giving you a hard time dude. i i don't know how that uh hierarchy works oh you got the opticians uh are the ones that uh well they they sell you the product they help you pick out a frame and stuff and bend the end pieces i was what was called an ophthalmic technician i'm the guy that actually manufactured the lenses Cut them to the ground, them to the power, cut them to fit into the eyeglasses, tinted them, put coatings and stuff on them. Uh, but in that is one of the, like you were saying with the plumbers, where you have a very technical skill because a lot of the optometrists who I uh, sold my product from my lab, uh, they had inherited the practice from their father and had passed it on to, or was going to pass it on to their son. But to like when Gary and I got out of high school, it was not a choice, a matter of could we find a factory job? It was, well, which one do you want? They were all over the place. Now, um, with the job you had, was that on the job training or did you have to go to like some schooling for it? Um, well, I got my start right out. I was starting as a part time uh, lab tech. Uh, with Pearl Visions out in Omaha when I was living out out there while I was going to college. And uh, the more I got into it, the more I actually liked it uh, and wound up working full-time on the retail side as made it up to district manager. Uh, but then dealing with the public, I don't have a violent temper or anything, but I don't have a tremendous amount of patience for idiocy. Uh, so then I made the decision to get over into the wholesale production end of it. And I did go through a five-year guild process. Uh, we had to take tests. Uh, it was on the job training, but through Benson Optical at the time, they had it to where that if you wanted to make more money, you had to show proficiency in your uh, trade. And you went from uh, uh, apprentice to journeyman, to optician, and then the last one was master op, op, optician level. And I made it up to to that, and by that time, I was running the lab. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people say that uh, you got to go to college to make it in this world. You, you really don't. Uh, I read a cute little joke a couple months ago. Plumber come in and done some minor work for a doctor and handing him a bill for $500. And the doctor was flabbergasted. He said, man, you wasn't here but an hour. I'm a doctor and I can't even charge that kind of money. And the plumber said, I couldn't either when I was the doctor. <laughs> That's good. So there is now the difference between the doctor and the plumber is the plumber has got to get dirt under his fingernails. He's got to use his hands. I, 
the reason why I say that, I wasn't a plumber, but I went through a four-year apprenticeship program to become a millwright. And that is the, the, the loose terminology for a millwright is machine installation and machine repair. So I always had grease under my fingernails, except for when I went on vacation and got away from it for a week or two. Then I could, would, the grease would finally wash out from underneath my fingernails. But uh, it was hard, dirty work, but I got paid well for it. And anybody that doesn't want to go to college does not have to think that they are relegated to working at McDonald's all their life. They can go to trade school. Oh, if I was a young man starting out, out again... I'd become a diesel mechanic. Oh, oh my, oh my, yes. One of my uh, nephews uh, from my wife's side of the family out in Utah got out of high school, had no interest to go into college. He started to work for England Trucking, sweeping, uh, gopher, whatever. After a while, they put him into the body department, and he learned how to do uh, body repair. And the poor kid, uh, he had England trucking red coming out of his pores for a couple of years. Then they asked him if he would like to learn to become a mechanic. And he said, hell yes. They paid for his schooling. Mm -hmm. Last count I had, he now owns his own business in Portland, Oregon, making well into six figures a year and has a crew of people working for him. And he's 38 years old. So do the math. My poor son has a master's in mathematics. Spent a lot of money getting it. Well-educated young man. He, oh, yeah, definitely. Got it from my wife, not, not from me, trust me. Uh, but now he is a uh, professor at a college out in Kansas making 50000 a year. So as I... Like to say, you know, to do the math. Do you want to make fifty or sixty with a fancy degree, or do you want to make two hundred thousand a year getting your your fingers dirty? Uh, do you remember we had a diesel mechanic in the family? Mm-hmm. Okay, Uncle Ralph learned to trade in the army. And that man could quit his job on Friday and have another job on Monday. You know, that is kind of ironic. About 20 years ago in what I did, uh, the equipment manufacturers started uh, introducing semi-autonomous equipment. And they took and sold uh, corporate uh, lab owners on the fact that they didn't have to pay us master opticians anymore. We can take somebody off the street, and with just an hour or two of training, they can do the same job because the equipment is smart. Well, they stopped training people. The guild system went, went, uh, went away. Now, it's uh, I've been retired for several years. I have no desire to go out and get a job. Uh, but I would bet within at least a week I could be making 50000 a year just about anywhere I want because 
there is nobody trained to do the whole process because, oh, guess what? The autonomous equipment doesn't always work. All right, fellas, this is my friends Will and Donald. They're hitting the slopes with me tomorrow, my bad. I had to go get them situated real quick and get me another brewski. Mm, that's weird. I, I lived in Utah for well over 30 years, never went skiing. Really? Yep. And he had some nice places like Park City. Oh, you go up to Alta, Snowbird, Top Top, top Flight, ones people says, why not? I said, crap, as a kid, I used to have to go out and work in that stuff. I'm not going to go out and play in it. Give me a beach and a uh, good uh, Mai Tai, and I am a happy camper. Yeah. I blame my friend Will and Austin Wagaman for getting me into snowboarding. Yes, yeah, yeah. You you wasn't doing that prior to uh, hooking up with Austin. Yeah, the first time I went up to Canaan. Fuck that. Fuck that. Dude, like, so so all the mountains Austin and I've hit so far, like, you know, between hitting, like, Adatosh, Wildcat, Stowe, Mount Snow, Mount Sunapi, I don't think I could ever go back to Canaan. Maybe Timberline, <laughs> but I can never go back to Canaan. Well, while you're up there freezing off the more delicate parts of your anatomy and dodging trees and rocks, uh, I would much prefer to be, oh, say, down at Horseshoe Bay in Bermuda, stretched out on the beach, Good rum punch drink beside me. Isn't that where you were stationed at? Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that that when he was in the Navy, they told him he had to do a hardship tour. They sent him to Bermuda. Yeah. And, well, I I did sonar school in Key West, Florida for three months, did two years in Bermuda, and came back to Delaware for the the side of it. (laughs) I, I never was on board ship. Now, I got a question for y'all. Yes? Do you guys feel younger or older than what you are? Hmm. Well, now, how I think and what my body tells me that I am... Well, well, I'm, I'm saying like, like you know, whenever I you're out going... Young, I still think young, but my body lets me know that I am 73 years old. Oh, me, uh... I still think like I did probably in my 30s. That was when I started to get things together uh, and haven't really changed much since since then. But like Gary says, every now and then the body goes, uh-oh, you're 68. You're not 30 anymore. But aside from, from that, nah, I still, I guess, feel young. And both, I mean, compared to, I I do know that uh, young people today, a lot of them are from broken families, uh, grandparents raising them, uh, mama doing drugs when she was carrying them. But in some aspects, I think young people have it made a lot better than I did. I mean, <coughs> but I was giving, given more leeway because right now I don't, I probably could uh, count on one hand looking all over a few states, how many kids, young boys I would trust at 13 with a gun. What states would those be? What? What, what states would those be? 
Huh? You said you could only think of young I, kids no, no, over I said a couple. Probably I could only find f- most most boys thirteen years old has got the, it, it's brain dead as far as I'm concerned anymore. <laughs> uh, I his his brother, my younger brother, and I started hunting when I was around thirteen and he was twelve. We both carried guns and we did not shoot each other. We shot game. Not each other. Well, uh, the other thing that uh, uh, God love us so, my, our dad never mistreated us. He, uh, yeah, that is true. But he was gone a lot. He he liked to party a lot, and so we lived on a farm, and we had we had wood stoves, and my brother and I would help Dad cut wood. He had a parasol. But when he was not there for a weekend or two, I ended up at 13 years old using a parasol. Mom said, do you think? I said, well, I watch Dad a lot. I think I can. I mean, for a while I was hanging this all up and everything else, but I got the hang of it. But I was using a parasol 13. Well, uh, I, I, I wouldn't put it on the kids today. I would put it more on the parents uh, because – I would tell some, you know, sub, suburban raised, uh, or we'd be talking. My wife and I had our kids a little later than what most do. Yes. So we were in our early thirties, and most of our uh, the kids that my kids uh, associated with the parents were in early to uh, mid twenties, and they were the most overprotective. Yes. Uh, bulldozer parents, they call yeah. them. Try to push, just bulldoze out anything that would uh, upset them or hurt them. And, now, the, and the kids are not, I repeat, the kids are not so, ready for real life. So so speaking of chainsaws, do you all know what the original use for a chainsaw was? There was two original uses, why they were invented. One of them was to easily cut through deceased or severely injured bone in order to give patients a better chance at recovery. And the other one was the preferred method for quickly removing a child from a woman's womb for almost three centuries. Good God. No, that I did not know. <laughs> you know, just a little quick, quick facts. <laughs> well, that one definitely was a conversation stopper. So. <laughs> yes, it was. But no, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. We, okay, we, we were talking your chainsaws. Hey, man. It's our show. You're the guests, and uh, uh, but yeah, growing growing up in the fifties and sixties, more sixties. I mean, I was born in forty seven. I start remembering stuff around fifty three. It is so much different. Uh, even when I was raising my two, uh, living here on the well, even when we lived in little town of Berkeley Springs for a short period of time. My brother and I would be gone for half a day out running around through yeah. the town. Mom never worried. Uh, when we got here on the farm, my brother and I'd be gone all day wondering, because this was 100 acres, I think, to start with. Yeah. And my great uncle, our great uncle owned. Yeah. Keep on talking. Something, uh, something happened. So we recording. had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres to just. Uh, we called it exploring, just running around looking. And we never wanted to be in, the only time that we was in the house and when it was pouring down this rain or snowing. 
because we did not like, well, we did not have video games. We did, I mean, basically, we we come up with our own games. Uh, uh, but it was uh, just running around, exploring. And then, like I said, once my brother and I was 12, 13 years old and discovered hunting, for the next two or three years, we were we hunted seven days a week. We supplied a lot of meat to the family. Uh, you ate a lot of squirrel. Oh God! Ed. What uh, what all did you guys hunt for the majority? Was it just like squirrel and deer? Did yeah, that's that's it. That's it. Just a small game and and deer. Yes. So you say you all had like how much property that you hunted on? Like hundreds of acres? Or yeah, I mean here was around a hundred acres that that your great grandmother owned. Now, where did a lot of that land come from? Oh, okay. Let me give you the story. I'll back way up on this. The property that I'm living on, this little bit here, and my daughter's got next door, is part of around a two or 3,000 acre land track that came into my mother's mother's family through a land grant from King George. So there's been somebody back here living on this property or parts of it before the Revolutionary War. And that's how, and of course, uh, the way that they done back then, uh, son was going to get married. So daddy gave him a, a hundred acres, 50 acres, 75 acres as a wedding gift. The son didn't like it anymore. He either gave it to somebody else or sold it. So over the course of five, six generations, most of the land is gone. Other people own it. And because the land I was talking about on either side of us once was part of the of my uh, ancestors' original land track. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, bulls! You didn't know that? No. Yeah, this is part of a of an original uh, land grant from King George to I don't know five six generations back of mom's grandma files or grandma Luttrell's uh, uh, or maiden name Luttrell uh, uh, forefather or relatives, great great grandfather, something like that. My grandmother's great-great-grand... However, you got to get back before the Revolutionary War. And that's how... I mean, this this part of the of Virginia at that time was considered a wilderness. I mean, even up to the Civil War, Morgan County was considered the wilderness. There's a fort right outside of uh, Hancock, Fort Frederick. That was the wilderness boundary at one time. That's that's how far civilization had only gotten was about eight miles out of Hancock. Rest of it was just wilderness and good, uh, good old fist Peter. What? Good old fist Peter. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you also got uh, I mean, you got so many like just the history around here is crazy between the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Like, this is a very, like, high history-oriented area. Well, this, I mean, uh, uh, this property, well, even Berkeley Springs, Winchester, uh, Harrisburg is part of what they call the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, 
during the Re- oh, Civil War. Of course, uh, this was part of Virginia until the uh, Civil War. 1865. Uh, this, the Shenandoah Valley was called... Oh, was it 63? 65 was in the Civil War. I'm a dummy. Yeah. My bad. 63 is when the Civil War started. Uh, uh, but we succeeded. West Virginia succeeded before the Civil War was over. But anyway, this area through Winchester and, and on down was considered the breadbasket of the Confederacy. That's why they... Uh, That's why you hear about the 37th Battle of Winchester. <laughs> so, oh, my yeah. God, yeah. Winchester changed hands so many times that it wasn't funny. And if you remember, Jackson wanted to... And he did get there, but he got slowed up in Berkeley Springs with skirmishes and did he marched from Winchester... To Berkeley Springs, he was going to Hancock to blow up the locks. At that time, most uh, commerce uh, traveled the canals, and mm. and and uh, uh, that's why with Lincoln, with Baltimore, Maryland was uh, Maryland was teetering on Maryland had a lot of slaves. They was teetering on going with the South. And when this stuff started rumbling and Lincoln it got Lincoln says he sent the army in, martial law, Baltimore. Because he knowed if Baltimore went with the South, Washington would be surrounded by the South. So You know, dude, you had asked earlier about the differences between the West Coast and here. That is one of the big ones. Uh you almost never hear anything out in Wyoming, Utah, Nevada area about <laughs> about the Civil War. It is just never touched not, the West hardly. Yeah. And you would now what you did hear about was famous cowboys, uh, some of the Indian Wars, the settlers that in the Custard's wagons. Custer's last stand. And not even that was big. More of it uh, places out there were famous because you know Jesse James slept here, not Stonewall Jackson. So yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a different culture in that respect. They have a whole different outlook on history than what East East Coasters do. And another thing that a person from the West Coast uh, really acknowledged about when they moved to Winchester from, I think, California. California has got such a diversified uh, population. Mm-hmm. They're from all over the world. You can, somebody... You or me can move out there and we fit right in, California. Here, it's a lot of old families. goes back to the antebellum South and stuff. Yep. And the lady says, it's very hard to try to fit in when you are, you don't have five or six generations of families that you, uh, uh, that was living here before you. Oh, okay. you want to see the same thing? Go to Wyoming. Uh, cowboys. Oh. And they are still very active ranchers uh, and honest to God cowboys. Is yeah. is isn't Colorado kind of the same a little bit? Uh, parts of Colorado, you get down into the southern part of Colorado, and it, it, it's still very much. But now Denver, Colorado Springs, where I've lived for a while, 
uh, would rival just about any cosmopolitan area in the country. Now, did you ever spend any time in Boulder, or were you just really pretty much just up in Colorado Springs? Mostly Colorado Springs, uh, and I did travel a lot to Denver when I was in the corporate world. Uh, Boulder, eh, no. And uh, considering your first 18, 19 years pretty much right here in this area, and then your next 30 years in Utah— uh, considering Colorado, you just uh, you just passed through Colorado. Well, I've lived there for a little bit over a year. Yeah, <laughs> That's passing say. through. <laughs> oh, Colorado Springs is one of the most lovely uh, cities I've ever been in. Uh, circumstances didn't work out, so I sold the house that I had out here. Plus, I had uh, my wife passed away. Well, a little bit over four years ago, and so it was always in the back of my mind to head back here. It was just a matter of when. And circumstances uh, last fall worked out. But yeah, oh, and booming, my God. If you, you had to actually not want to find the job if you wanted the job I mean, in Colorado Springs. Everywhere you go, help wanted signs, good, good, high-paying jobs. Do you think that uh, them legalizing marijuana helped out with that any oh lord yes <laughs> why do you think uh within about a four or five year period every, every even utah put in if i understand correct from the last time i talked to my sister-in-law out there have legalized certain uses of medical marijuana west virginia done the same thing yeah, but I, I nevada went full bore i know washington oregon California, Massachusetts, Michigan. Yeah. I think I think Connecticut might be medical. <laughs> I think Connecticut might be medical. The reason I wound up in Colorado Springs was several years ago when they legalized weed, my daughter said, whoa, I'm moving to Colorado. So off her and her husband went. So I got down there to visit, and uh, she took me into a weed store. Quite a different experience for getting weed now than when I was a young man, where I was basically buying it, uh, you know, some dark alley. So, and every flavor in the world, you tell them, uh, you know, my left arm hurts. Well, here, smoke this. And uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting. Well, when I was out there and we went to Colorado uh, Springs because of her dilemma. Remember, we were sitting out, uh, oh, yeah, sitting out, yeah. uh, out front on a nice uh, patio at the hotel smoking weed. And uh, what you think about it, Pat? It was okay. Now, I grew up in the 60s. The, oh, my God. Woodstock. Uh, 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 free love. And I better never. I was from here. We were about like the old song. Um, Oki from Smokoki oh, or something Merle like Hager. that. That was that was this that was this. Uh, our thing was here. This was ours beer, and uh, but we still had respect for our parents. We had respect for our teachers, even though we didn't like them and what we said about them behind their back. But. We was very nice to them to their face because if we wouldn't, they'd bust our ass. Just simple as that. Uh, uh, I 
I mean, it was so easy to get my driver's license. Now, young people have got to, what is it, a year that that you have a learner's permit? I mean, I don't know. Shit, I didn't get my license until I was 18 because it's easier to just wait till you're 18 than doing the learner's permit. I went down one one, uh, uh, week and took my uh, written test and went back the next week and took my driver's test. And here, you done good. Hand your license and... Off you went, and uh, the one thing I did, I mean, I, I look back, of course, 2020 hindsight is is fantastic. I owned a lot of classic cars, ones that bring twenty and thirty and $40,000 a day at the prestige uh, car auctions. You, I had a... You wrecked a lot of those, too, yes, didn't I you? Yes, I did, yes. Tore them up, <laughs> wrecked them, yes, yes. See... That's all that good booze. <laughs> uh, booze, not weed. Booze, yes. Good old uh, marijuana. No, I kidding. had a 57 Chevrolet convertible, Bel Air convertible. I had a 56 Ford Crown Vic. I had a 57 Mercury Montego. I think that's her Monterey. It had a, I had a 272 uh, Rochester four barrel. Three on the tree with overdrive. What well, what was the favorite car you owned growing up? <sighs> kind of hard to pick. I mean, all of them were fantastic cars. Uh like like if you had to pick one that you could oh, own the again. Oh, fifty-seven Chevy. Jesus, Cramony. I mean, I, I mean that's a no-brainer. That the fifty-seven Chevy, <clears throat> but I had a lot of fun with the Merc too, because that's the one that got me in trouble. Was nine points on my license at one time. Oh, okay, yeah. Was it fast? Huh? Was it fast? Uh, for a stock car, yeah. Uh, yeah, because it had that damned overdrive. Because I got... Uh, now, this was the three-speed on the column. I got clocked. Because the speed on them, arm on the speed on them was broke. It was hard to tell how fast you was driving. Uh, even though it worked, you couldn't tell it. I got uh, I got clocked at seventy in second gear and a forty mile an hour zone and uh, racing driving left to center uh, improper equipment on the car he said uh, trooper said. Uh, Boy, you got gutter mufflers on that thing. Uh, no, sir, I don't. I don't. Don't lie to me, boy. When you went by me, you said there's three foot of flame coming out of each one of those exhaust pipes. <laughs> you got gutted mufflers. Uh, I said, yeah. But anyway, I got a freaking letter from about a month later. Oh, back up real quick. He's handed out the ticket. To, I was. He handed both to Roger Hobden and myself. Uh, at that time for traffic violation, minor traffic violations, you went in front of a JP, just uh, Justice of the Peace. It so happens that the JP that the state troopers used, his last name was Hobde. It was Roger Hobde's uncle. I got nine points. I mean, I got nine points against my license. I had reckless driving, driving left the center, improper equipment, and my fine was $33. Jesus Christ, could you imagine getting that ticket nowadays? That'd oh, be like no. a $1,000 fine almost, don't you think? 
Now, you would enjoy driving in Wyoming now. They have stretches of roads. Well, I haven't driven through it since I retired and don't have a sales route. But for years, they had stretches of road where there was no speed limit. Hell yeah, Audubon. Basically, you would see a sign about speed is the to the effect of whatever is safe. And I have driven through that area and been cruising in about 100 miles, miles an hour. But then you're talking about highways that are just pool table <laughs> flat. Yep. No curves. And you, and just you can go see on 20 miles forever. out. And you can see yeah, 20 I, miles out. I think here in the U.S., the highest speed limit I've ever seen was like 75 or 80. And that was driving from like Dallas, Austin, Texas to like oh, El Paso. Most of the freeways in the Intermountain West section, California is its own little little world, but the uh, they are 75 to 80 is the posted speed limit. And most of the times I would just set the cruise at 90 and just let it go. Uh, I mean, and then like I said, the biggest difference between when I was a teenager, or even a kid, uh, you're talking about with the weather, when it snowed back here. We would be snowed in uh, eight, ten days at a time. Never even missed a beat. We burnt wood. We had two wood stoves. Uh, uh, it got back when we were kids. It got blue ass cold. I mean, how cold it was a few weeks ago was about the way it was the whole time during the winter. So we didn't remember the big freezer. We had a big freezer out in a yep. unheated room. This stuff never even thawed. Uh, but if it snowed during the night, when you got up, before you even done breakfast, you got your clothes on and you went shoveling a path. Mm -hmm. The first path you shoveled was to the outhouse. You made sure <laughs> that if you needed to make a quick run, to the outhouse, you wasn't wading in the snow up to your waist. You And for those of you un unfamiliar with outhouses, they're a lot more tolerable in the wintertime. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, of course, we had to shovel to the barn. We had to shovel to the pig pen. And uh, I was telling somebody about the pig pen being about, what, four or five hundred feet or more from the yeah. house. And why didn't you have the pig pen closer to the house? Said, you ever been around a pig pen in the summertime? I said, we had it way away from the house. So that it, when we, because we did not have air conditioning, that's the other thing. We didn't have air conditioning. All the windows was up in the summertime. So you had to make sure that the pig pen was far enough away that it didn't have an offensive odor coming through your window when you're trying to sleep. And that was the other thing, the two-story house. <clears throat> uh, it got miserable ass hot upstairs in a two-story house back then. So it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning before it cooled down. We had a big wrap-around porch. My brother and I would crawl out the window with our pillow and a blanket and sleep on the porch roof part of the night. Until it got cool yep. enough inside to go inside. Uh, no, there was uh, uh, 
Tell you the truth, if I had to live, go back again, I wouldn't mind it. I had a lot of fun. A lot of hard work, but I had a lot of fun. Well, I, I do know one thing, that the way that we grew up, in my humble opinion, prepared us oh, a lot yeah. better to handle adversity. Yes. To uh, just... Handle disappointment. Yeah. And also to be a lot more self, self-reliant because we didn't have helicopter parents back then that watched us every way. I sometimes wonder why we still have all of our digits, some of the crap that we pulled back then. Uh, but we made it through and it gave us a different outlook on life. The kids today are not prepared for what the world is going to hit them with now. Has the world uh, improved some? Uh, do women have a few more rights? They don't have to. Um, they don't have to sleep with the boss to keep a job. But, but if you want a job, there's certain rules you got to do. You got to adhere to, and it's not all about me. And that's the what because. I am in the last 60 work days of my second career working for a school board. And I'm around kids in the third and fourth and fifth grade. There is no... Um, when we were growing up, um, if we'd done a, done a quiz, after we'd done the quiz, the teacher would say either, the one to your right and one to your left, Change papers and we'll and you grade each other's papers. Oh no! Oh no! My God! No! There's no way that another kid can know that you missed five questions. Uh, it, I mean, it's just stupid. That oh God! The teachers would we would take a test, and in the morning, the the next day, she would read the grades of the entire of every student yeah. uh, aloud. Johnny got an A. Susie got an F. Uh, mine usually came in in the C and or D range, but that was, yeah, and that was just the way things were done. And it wasn't a big deal. They, I mean, it, yeah. uh, now I do know the biggest difference between my generation of kids and now to be called down by a teacher or to be sent to the principal's office. I didn't like that shit because you got your ass beat with a belt. Principal take his belt off and beat your ass. Uh, it was embarrassing. Oh, Jesus Christ, I wanted to crawl underneath the desk when the teacher called me out. Kids today, oh, that, that that's a badge of courage. They like being called out and sent to the principal's office because, like a friend of mine says, uh, in, this, in this educational program tonight and, and today is... The teachers are afraid of the principal. The principal's afraid of the superintendent. The superintendent's afraid of the parents, and the goddamn kids ain't afraid of nobody. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how it was back in y'all's day, but I know, like, whenever I was going to school, it was cool to be a dickhead. Like, if you weren't a dickhead, you were super nice. No one gave a fuck about you. You had to be a dickhead to be cool. Oh, that... I changed high schools in my sophomore year. Went from a small one to a fairly large one. Oh, shit. Twice the size or more. And it, that's when I was introduced to marijuana for the first time. And I noticed that, ooh, 
These are the cool kids. So we would meet in the parking lot, smoke a number, go and go into class. It made for an interesting last couple of years of high school. So, yeah. Because, I mean, and he'll agree, when I went, you was two categories. Uh, you was either bookworm or jock. Yeah. My bro- not you, well, now, brother Dave and I were jocks. There's where our generation split, and it was a matter of less than a decade. Uh, I got in with the in crowd, uh, and we kind of looked down our noses at the jocks and the nerds equally. Uh, so we started our own thing. Who knew it was going to come into the movement that it did? So all through the 70s was nothing like the 60s for kids. You're talking about like like with the like world peace, peace, love, harmony, let's get stoned, do a bunch of LSD and have a good old time? Uh, I kind of caught the tail end of the 60s love, whatever. We were more... And I was in, right in the middle of it. We okay. were more into experimenting with a lot of different chemicals and uh, a lot of heavy metal music. It was the that 70s from about 72 up to about 80. You had that period where it was all heavy metal. Then you got into punk and it moved moved on, plus all the just got older. Uh, but there for and disco. Now, I know people look down their nose at disco, but I loved hitting the dance floor. And that's where we different. My my generation. Most of the girls could dance, but us guys didn't. I mean, ours was, if the goddamn car wasn't fast and noisy, drinking beer, and chasing pussy. And and, and, uh, we, and we uh, done as much of it as we could because I did not get to experience it, but I didn't know it at that time. Most of us guys that was in high school in the 60s, Leastways the mid sixties, did not know whether we was gonna to live to see our twenty first birthday because of a little problem over in Vietnam. Now that is true. I got I got draft cards. I mean I kept draft card I got my draft cards down at the house in in a box. You you your ass went to the draft board and signed up at eighteen, or they sent the law after you. And you got drafted and most of us was being sent to Vietnam. Now, Barbara, my wife, has got a brother that died in Vietnam, got killed in Vietnam. So most of us did not know whether we was going to live to see our 21st birthday, so we done some crazy shit. And because we was living life to the fullest because we didn't know whether we yeah. was going to live that long. And I, only by the grace of God, am I sitting here talking right now. I should be dead. The wrecks I was in and stuff like that. No, no. Well, you got, you you guys are into fast cars and beer. Yes. Yeah, we were into, within that, in the mid to late 70s, uh, disco, weed, and cocaine. What was your... Growing up in the seventies, like if you had to pick one music genre that you listened to just to hang out, what would be the music genre? Oh you my god, I listened to a lot of Deep Purple, uh, like CCR. Well, they they were a little too country on some. Shit, yeah. I, I fucked with CCR so hard. Uh, mostly it was Rolling Stones, Deep Purple, uh, 
bands like uh, that. <laughs> the strange thing is I listen to some of that music now, and it's like, I actually like this. Oh, and Carlos Santana on the guitar. Oh, my God, that guy is Now, fabulous. he can shred. My son was into that heavy metal shit. The thump, 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 thump. You know, oh, my God, he would come driving in. You could hear him coming for half a mile before he ever got to the driveway because he had to... Uh, volume cranked up and he was into heavy metal mm-hmm. but now that's he, probably why i wear hearing aids today <laughs> <laughs> and now mine was uh elvis presley and the killer jerry lee lewis oh my yeah uh what about he, dion and the belmonts uh, okay oh come on now I, I know whenever i crank on that song the wonder you jam out to that thing i don't want to well, hear yeah it. <laughs> yeah but uh, but the killer had more. He had he had yeah. like five hits out in a row. Well, shit, and, y'all, it's like five twenty. You want to rap? And the Beach Boys. Oh God, the Beach Boys, the Monkees, uh, on the Beatles. Good God, the Beatles. I can't say anything bad about them. Shit, I had a Beatle haircut. Oh, they they did some stuff. One of the artists I really liked from that period was David Bowie. Uh, man, he was on the cutting edge of everything. Some of his music, yeah, it was a little bit weird. Uh, and, but if you want to really sample something that was unique to that period, listen to Electric Light Orchestra. Uh, I'll have to give him a listen. It, it is some of the best music. And, it is and it's still, all string, right? Um, well, you kinda, know what I'm trying to say? There's not... There's no vocal. You said electric. Oh no no no! There there's there's vocals in it, but the the group was called Electric Light Orchestra. They did a lot of the first rounds of of techno style music. Hey, I fucks with EDM hard, and uh, it, it was just uh, so EDM. It's just a wide genre of like electric dance music. You know, you got techno, house, oh. bass house. Well, there's rhythm, a, there's a different seat. My wife and I had kids late. So my kids were growing up in the 90s. I got introduced to music. Uh, I didn't like a lot of it. Uh, but I, I know when you talk about grunge rock, garage rock, into punk, into techno. Into, I mean, I've listened to this stuff. I don't like a lot of it, but I, but I have listened to some, And every now and then I'd run across something that, well, that is not bad. Well, hey, on that note, y'all want to get this wrapped up? We got about 40 minutes till den-den time. Because you was talking about... Hey, you're the captain of this uh, ship. You about tell us when the, to get off. With the music, when his dad, my son, come home for... Well, he left for boot camp in September, I think. Didn't have enough time between boot camp and tech school for them to send him home for extended leave. They sent him straight to tech school. So he left like in September and we didn't see him till February. Well, we went down to pick him up at Dulles. His plane was late. It was like one, two o'clock in the morning. By the time we had it, got back out on 50 to head home. And I was tired and he said, here, put this tape in, because that's when we had the tapes, the small tapes. Put this in the uh, tape player in the car. I said, son, I really haven't got any patience or anything for your music. 
He said, come on, put it in there. I said, no, no, no. So finally I did. Here it was CCR. <laughs> Wait, there is one advantage. To- he done switch from hard rock, I mean, heavy metal, to uh, Creed's Clearwater Revival. Well, I was going to say, there is one advantage to big city life. You get to sample uh, things. Like I've been to several times to the Salt Lake Philharmonic. And to listen to classical music on a recording, but when you're sitting in in an auditorium with 30 performers... Still sucks. No, 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 no. You you have to experience it live. And we also had a group of musicians. They were all 70s and 80s. They were called the Phoenix Band. These were all, when they were kids, they played in Tommy Dorsey and all of the big uh, band groups. And a couple times a year, they would put on a performance. And I never much cared for big band music, but listening to it live is uh, something a com- completely different. different. There's a little difference between some of the stuff that, like, Tom Dorsey's band played, and you talk about that classical shit that uh, sucks, puts you to sleep, <laughs> run you out of the place. Uh that's like watching uh, uh, a good. Uh, a, a, that's like watching a good slapstick comedy play on uh, on stage, and then the next one is the West Side Story. That sucks. No, I, I between marriages, uh, I dated a music major for a while, and she's the one that drugged me off to the Philharmonic. I thought this is gonna really suck, but. Men do strange things for women. Uh, And she was explaining the complexity of the music. And after a while, I went, oh, yeah, that's not bad. But maybe one of these times I'll drag you off if we can find a... I don't think so. What? See, that's... Oh, my God. you got to broaden your horizons. That's like going to the friggin' opera. Well, I will agree with you there. I've been to two operas, and no, I don't care for operas. You're not music. like the, uh, uh, the the one in uh, Pretty Woman when she no, went to the no, opera no, and no, she, no, oh, no, I no. just love it, yeah, blah blah blah. No, 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 no. Opera, no, no. no. But I like I was saying back when I was a uh, teenager, we still had respect for teachers. And teachers ruled with an iron fist back then. You uh, paid attention, done your homework. Yeah, but sometimes that iron fist got a little too damn heavy. Didn't fuck Uh, up in class. I never had any trouble out of any of the teachers. Now, uh, well, I did sometimes. I got my ass beat by principal. I still remember Roger Ambrose, math class. We was only in the eighth grade. He went up to sharpen his pencil, come walking back by me, and I was working on something. Well, he gouged me in the ribs. Well, he caught me off guard, and I went, oh, like that. And old, um, oh, God, what? Uh, anyway, F, no, little old teacher. She's about 70 years old. Roger Ambrose would top out at about 220, 5'7". Uh, she had to look up at him, but anyway... She said, uh, she come back and said, he hit you? I said, no, no, no. She said, uh, come up here, Roger. 
You hit him? No, she backhands him right across the chops. Blood running down. Did you hit him? Yes, I did. She, she got the truth out of him. Today, she would have been fired. Fired? Hell, she'd be serving time somewhere. But, but well, that's a whole different story, guys. But then, if he would have went home and told his dad that he done something like that in school, he'd got his ass beat at home. So, yeah, we he is right. We were prepared for just about anything that the world could throw at us because we was getting it thrown at us the whole time we was going to school. Uh, the people, the teacher was there to educate us and not put up with a bunch of shit. And if we tried to pull it, I mean, that's like, like I said, where I'm at, third, fourth, and fifth. A third grader tells the teacher to go fuck herself. Come on, if I'd have done that, uh, well, I'd have gotten through. She, teacher would have backhanded, but principal would beat the hell out of me, and then mom would have nailed me too. Well, this is, and my ultra-liberal son and I have this argument every, every now and then. I'm a firm believer that we made a mistake when they did away with the draft. With what? The draft. Oh, because you go through basic training. And Changes you. Yes, it does. And uh, and in most ways, looking back on it, for the good. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought my drill instructor was a sadistic asshole who should be you know, locked away. Uh, but au contraire, just the difference. They are the cream of whatever military branch. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know whenever I went through, I thought, I mean, honestly, I love my drill sergeants. Mainly, I, I mean, I came from like re- a wrestling background, so going through basic training was just like going to wrestling practice for for two months straight. Like I like my nor my original wrestling coach whenever I first got into high school, he was one of those guys that he would scare the shit out of you if you pissed him off. Like it like he'd be nice. He he was a nice guy, but once you saw that side of him where he was like mad you didn't want to see it no more. And yeah. we would figure out, we, and, and all it would take would be, say, like, we're not drilling hard enough or we're not practicing hard enough. All right, that's fine. We're fucking running laps the rest of the practice. So, like, pretty, like, I already went into basic training with, like, that mindset of you got to work your ass off, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they were assholes. But then now looking back on it, it's like all they were doing was building, you know, breaking us down to build us back up to be, you know, what was needed to be in the military. And what was probably for me was one of the most beneficial things was I learned self-discipline. I had to conform to their, their standards, whether I wanted to or not. Some of the stuff seemed silly and pointless, but it was all basically confidence and character building. And I came out of it, uh, my four years in the military, a different person than when I went in. And since that is not done to a wide segment of the youth anymore, I and helicopter parents and things, they're not learning a lot of self-discipline and limits as much as anything else, and also how to work well with the team. Yeah, because what did uh, one of the – with Forrest Gump – Army was okay. Just do what you're told and everything's just fine. 
Yeah, that's that a fun movie. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up because we got about 30 minutes, so we got to be back down to Pap and Grammys to eat some dinner. Um, y'all got any closing remarks? Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just hoping the world can get their ass turned around. We do need a little bit of what we had in the 60s. Uh, we don't need some of the stuff we had in the 60s. Uh, Especially for for uh, for blacks and females, cause until sixty five that was uh, and females. Like I said, you got to sleep with the boss to keep a job. But there's a lot of shit that happened that we had in the sixties that we need back. <laughs> the stuff we had in the seventies, uh, disco music and cocaine. I don't think too many people would recommend anymore. So shit. I'll let it go at that. Shit, personal liberties. As long as you ain't hurting nobody, do whatever yeah. you want. But hey, I hope all y'all have a great rest of your week. You know, be safe, be responsible, drink, don't drive. <laughs>